Danish leaders are among the worst in the world. Welcome to my podcast about work life and leadership in Denmark. Chapter 2 European leaders do not take leadership seriously. We recommend A, B, and C. And for you as a leader, we, we recommend that you get some coaching on how you can better communicate into your team so you can communicate your vision, engage people, help them to align around the true North and your North Star, things like that. And 15 years ago, when I would make that recommendation to American leaders, they would be like, yeah, all right, good idea. Yeah, let's do that. When I would make it to European leaders, the reaction was typically, what, what, why? Wait, what's wrong? What did I do wrong? where just the idea of coaching itself was not much appreciated in Europe. Danish society is at the top when it comes to quality of life. Sadly, experiences at work are among the worst in the world. These are the words of managing partner of Gallup in Europe, Middle East and Africa, Paul Senyan. Welcome to my podcast. In this podcast, Parson Yang will present and discuss some of the major findings from Gallup from 30 years of research and studies on work life all over the world. Gallup has two Nobel Prize winners in their research team. In chapter one, Parson Yang told us that one, negative emotions are on the rise on workplaces all over the world. Two, Only one out of five employees are engaged in the work, and these numbers are extremely stable over decades. 3. Danish workers are among the happiest in the world, but that does not mean that they are engaged. 4. A happy employee can be happy doing nothing. In this chapter, Parson Jan tell us that in Denmark only one out of two knows what is expected from them at work every day. But maybe, maybe sorry to, to say I consider it a positive because I would rather have the European problem than the problem we see in many other parts of the world where People might be engaged at work. You know, they uh, they want to go the extra mile. They want to work harder. They enjoy going to work. They have a high valuation and appreciation of work. Um, managers are more uh, likely to say thank you, right? That is, these are the simple differences where a manager in the US, we might think the Americans are a little crazy sometimes, but they're more likely to say thank you. They're more likely to recognize their employees. They're more likely to say, hey, good job, well done. And you know, Danish people or Germans, we are a little bit more, uh, there's a German saying that goes in German, nicht geschimpft is lob genug, which means if I don't criticize you, that's that's enough recognition. I did not criticize you, right? Why do you need recognition? And we sadly have a leadership or management culture that is very uh, almost technical and almost like, you know, uh, transactional. Um, and we don't necessarily build deep relationships to the people that we lead. We don't stretch them. We don't challenge them. We don't take leadership and people management very, very serious. What we qualify, what we appreciate in Europe is qualifications and expertise. And if you look at the people in Denmark, like in Germany, that we make managers or leaders, it's not because they enjoy engaging people. 
It's not because they enjoy managing people. It's because the number one reasons why people in Germany and in Denmark become managers is because they were very good in their non-managerial role. So the best writer became the director of the team of writers. Even though being a great writer and being a great director or manager of a team are two very different things. And sometimes the best writer does not have the talents or the personality to be a great director of writers. Yet in most countries in the world, when we choose leaders and managers, we choose people who are experts. And in Europe, given our strong manufacturing background, strong expertise-driven industries, we've always over-emphasized expertise over talent. Um, that's one of the big differences that we see. Another big difference we see is just, um, I remember when I started my career um, in Gallup, working with organizations on driving behavioral change, this is now 15 years ago, actually to the day, today is my 15th uh, anniversary with Gallup. Um, we, uh, we, um, we would recommend to leaders and managers, look, when we look at the data on how people in your organization feel, we recommend A, B, and C. And for you as a leader, we, we recommend that you get some coaching on how you can better communicate into your team so you can communicate your vision, engage people, help them to align around the true north and your north star, things like that. And 15 years ago, when I would make that recommendation to American leaders, they would be like, yeah, all right, good idea. Yeah, let's do that. When I would make it to European leaders, the reaction was typically, what, what, why? Wait, what's wrong? What did I do wrong? Where just the idea of coaching itself was not much appreciated in Europe just 15 years ago. Now, that has changed. We're seeing a change there. But the U.S. was already doing that a long time ago. And I think part of the reason, you know, in the U.S., it's, I believe, 35% who are engaged. In Europe, you know, we are in total on average around 14%. Denmark is a little bit higher at 22%. Uh, but the US is much higher. And it's not just because they're Americans and everything is great. They do have a people leadership and people management style that is more engaging, that is more uh, appreciative, that is more um, you know, individualized. Like, Let me ask you a typical question I hear when when I when I when I when I hear this story from Gallup and you, then I hear this. Uh, well, we don't want to be like American and Asians. They work twenty four seven, and and you know they have a bad culture for this. But I hear this from Asians, Americans. What is your response? Absolutely. To this? I think it's a I, look. I think it's a very valid question. As somebody, and I should maybe just so I'm a. Even though I was born and raised in the Gambia, I'm European myself, and I choose Europe. Right? I am. I am. I feel fortunate and blessed to live in Europe, and I don't want to live anywhere else. Nothing against the other parts of the world, but I think that countries like Germany, Denmark, Sweden, Austria, Netherlands, you know, I think these are amazing countries in terms of their achievements, their accomplishments, uh, what they give to their citizens, the quality of lives, the safety, the rule of law. There's so much to be very, very grateful for. So. So just so we're clear, I'm absolutely in support of Europe, stay in Europe. But can we learn a trick or two? Because it's not black or white. It's not like you have to become a society where people work 20 hours and, you know, the, the, there's the China model where people work, you know, six days a week, you know, how many hours a day. Um, or you don't enjoy work and you uh, only live life. Right. That's I think it's a false paradox. It's a false dilemma that we're creating here because we in Europe are actually blessed. We already have the difficult stuff, creating uh, working institutions, uh, infrastructure, um, you know, uh, education, social, social welfare. 
These stuff are really difficult. We already have that. What we're lacking is a leadership style and people management style that engages people on a day-to-day. And when we say engagement, it doesn't mean unhealthy work. When we say people are engagement, it doesn't engage. It doesn't mean that they have to be working 20 hours a day and they have to forget their life. You know, some of the most engaged people I have met are in Europe, in organizations that emphasize uh, the importance of leadership, the importance of culture, the importance of talent, and they engage their people. So you can have your cake and eat it. We can actually get the best that Europe has to offer while influencing how we lead and manage people. Uh, I don't. I think that's a false uh, dichotomy that people see there because these these two things are not uh, uh, in competition. We can do both. Okay. And some of the best organizations that I have seen in Europe do this very, very well. And then their culture and their people experiences, how people are engaged, becomes a source of a competitive advantage for them, but also a source of uh, well-being for their people. So you can really kill two birds with one or hit two birds with one stone when you create engaging workplace environments. Can you tell me uh, just, uh, I know you have some figures for how... how uh, <laughs> How much an employee is engaged? How much does the leader mean for the employee's engagement? I think you have mm. some figures, but it's quite high. I think. Can you? Can you? Absolutely. That's a that's a that's a good point. And now we're getting to what part of the core problem is. When we look at the data around the world, including in Denmark, uh, we, we looked. Uh, we did a study a couple of years ago where we looked at five million different people across our database of companies we've worked with. And what we're trying to identify is what is the source of the variance? How do we find out what explains who is engaged and who is not? And when you look at it, you see, oh, well, country matters. So if you are in Denmark, you have a little higher engagement than in Germany. If you're in the U.S., you have higher engagement than in Denmark. Uh, If you're a woman, you are a little bit more engaged than a man. Women tend to be a little bit more engaged than men. Uh, we see that there are age differences. We see that uh, people who've just joined, so the young people, have very high engagement, and those people who are about to leave the workforce, they have high engagement. And you see a U curve of engagement over our career. <laughs> Which is, <laughs> that's interesting. Interesting. <laughs> that's an interesting observation. There are many theories to explain that. So in the beginning, it's obvious about the honeymoon effect, right? When you join companies in the beginning, you you know you're getting the, the special treatment, and people are giving you attention. Then after six months, you make a recommendation and nobody listens. After eight months, you realize your colleagues don't care about you. The manager doesn't make, make time to meet with you. So literally, in every, in almost every organization I have worked with, Soren, we see that data where people join, the engagement is at the highest, and then three months later, it goes down. Six months, and it just, the experiences that people make in the organizations are what causes them their engagement. I'll give you another example. There are functional differences. We find in our data that if you are in HR, for example, you are less engaged than if you're in sales. People in sales roles seem to have more clarity, more recognition, more appreciation than people in HR. Uh, If you're in operations, in a manufacturing type role, we see lower engagement than in other functions because, you know, you have managers there who have teams of 50 people, 80 people. How can you recognize 80 people authentically and honestly? How can you how can you create clarity and give feedback to 80, 90 people? It's just with that type of a span of control, it's very hard to engage people. So, so, and then we see there are 
um, sort of regional differences, like I shared earlier. So what the data shows is that there are a lot of reasons why differences in engagement exist based on different variables. But the most important finding, I would say, in Gallup's last 30 years of research, yeah, I would say that. I think it's our most important finding in the last 30 years is that 70% of the variance in your engagement is explained by who your manager is, who's your boss, who's your leader, the person that you report to. Not the CEO of the company far, far away, but the person right on top of you, the person that manages you and your colleagues. 70% of the variance in our engagement is explained completely by our manager. And that for us has been a really good finding because it means that as we try to drive culture, as we try to influence culture in organizations, it's not always about what the CEO does or what HR does. It's about what every individual manager does. And in every company we come in, when we look at how people experience engagement and how people experience their workplace culture, we see a bell-shaped curve. There is no one company culture. Every, all, these, all of us as companies, we always talk about our company culture and what our company stands for. Well, when we ask the people in the company, it depends on what team they're in. So, so what you say here really is that it's the daily life of the employees, their daily leader, and how the daily leader behaves and communicate and act in, in everyday life. That is absolutely. the absolute crucial factor of verbal engagement. That is, that is the single most important determinant of your engagement. Who is your manager? And it's, and it's not just about what they do, it's about what they create. So if you, uh, Soren, are managing me and you know, my three friends, my three other colleagues, it's also about the environment you create for my dynamics with my colleagues, right? Are you creating a competitive environment or are you creating an environment where we build trustful relationships with each other? Are you making us fight or are you making us hug? Uh, are you helping uh, to bring us together or are you potentially the reason we've been torn apart? We have managers who create competition within their team because they think that makes things better. But true engagement comes from working with people that you trust. It doesn't mean you cannot compete with them but it has to come from a place of trust and appreciation, mutual respect for each other. Those are really great engaging and inclusive teams where we get the highest performance, not those where you create a controlled competitive environment. So it really boils down to the manager. And my advice to uh, executives again, uh, business leaders again and again is, you know, Mr. CEO, you're very important, but you're not that important for your people. You know, uh, who, you know who's really important for your people? Their boss. So if you have a company with 10,000 people, Focus on the thousand managers and how we help them to be better day-to-day -day managers. How do we help them to coach, to become coaching managers that are giving continuous feedback, that are stretching their people, but that are also there to listen and care for whatever is on people's mind? Because that is the job of being a manager, right? Really? And, and sadly, let me share one last data point. Yes. This was uh, global, global data, data. No, sorry, I take it back. This was U.S. research. It was just in U.S but I think it's, it could be reflective of the whole world. They look to see what do managers spend their time doing, actually. And Soren, what, what, what percent of a manager's time do you think they actually spend coaching, developing, aligning, giving feedback, actually managing people? What percent do you think? That's a, I don't the answer, answer, but I think it's it's low, 20, 30, 40%, maybe lower sometimes. I think I see leaders run around all the time. There's a huge range. There's a huge range, but the number that this research, and it's not a Gallup research, so I'm careful about it, but it looked like very robust research. 
Seven percent, yeah. Seven percent. So it means it means that we we don't value leadership as much as we value problem solving. We don't value leadership as much as we value, you know, firefighting. And and many of us as leaders, and I'll count myself as one of we are all guilty of this. We don't prioritize time to reflect. We don't prioritize time to just brainstorm and just exchange and see what's on people's mind because we think we're so busy saving the world. And the problem that creates is that because we spend so much time firefighting and not enough time coaching and giving feedback, we have more fires to put out. So it's a bit of a a vicious circle. The reason we are firefighting is because we did not give feedback before. If we had learned to give feedback, some of those problems would never have come up. Uh, If we were in Denmark, only 51% of people know what, approximately 50% of people know what is expected of them at work every day. So it means we're not, as leaders and managers, we're not making time to create clarity for our people. And because we don't create clarity for our people, it creates more problems that we then have to solve. And then we say, I don't have time to coach. I'm too busy solving problems. No, you are solving problems because you don't have time to coach your people. And that is where we we really need a, a switch. And this is not a Danish problem. I mean, Denmark has a big problem here, but it's not purely Danish. We see the same challenge in most corners of the world where we do not prioritize coaching. We do not prioritize leadership. We do not prioritize culture. We all talk about it. If you go on LinkedIn, it seems it's the most important thing in the world. But if you look at, are we putting our money where our mouth is? No, we're not. We're still, um, you know, whenever you try to get budget to train managers, it's still a fight. Even though it's managers the, desperately need training to become better people managers, to better engage their people. Listen, a lot of this must also be about communications. Oh, amen. <laughs> Preach, absolutely. <laughs> This was the end of chapter two. European leaders do not take leadership seriously. In the next chapter, Parson Yang discussed the importance of coaching, feedback and communication in leadership. He states that we do not invest sufficiently in these areas in Denmark today.